All right, well, we are back for another one of these sessions. This time we are dealing with the gift of tongues. We talked about prophecy last week. If you want to go back and refer to that video, I'm, I'm in a sense going to be building a little bit off that video, but I want to ask a big question that Christians are often curious about. Uh, does the gift of tongues still happen today? Does the gift of tongues still happen today? And a couple things I want to mention as we start out. Number one, this issue must be decided by exegesis, not experience. Uh, I know people who believe with all their heart that they speak in tongues. I, have, I, had, I had a close friend growing up who spoke in tongues regularly if, if I would be in prayer with him. And so uh, the question is, is it's, it's very personal. It can be very sensitive because if, if person A says tongues don't happen anymore, biblically, person B thinks they speak in tongues, he or she speaks in tongues a couple times a week, it feels very, like a very personal attack. You're telling me that, that I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm self-deceived or I'm not really speaking in tongues, but I'm sure I'm speaking in tongues. I've had this experience a hundred times in my life where I, I speak in tongues and on and on it goes. So we cannot, no matter how personal it feels, no matter how emotionally charged it is, uh, th this situation must be decided by exegesis. Uh, not experience. We're not going to allow our experiences to be in control. We've got to allow a clear interpretation of the biblical text to be control what we believe on this issue. Number two, in order to know if tongues still happen today, we've got to know what the gift actually is in Scripture. So what is the gift of tongues? What, what is it? And that's going to take, that's going to be a good bit of the work is just figuring out what it is. And once you figure out, once you settle on what the gift is, then you've come a long way in answering the question on whether the gift still happens today. And number three, uh, it may be surprising if you haven't studied this recently, only two books in the entire Bible uh, discuss the gift of tongues at all. And it only shows up in a few spots. It's the book of Acts, uh, really in three places, and the book of 1 Corinthians in chapters 12 to 14. Those are the chapters, as you may know, that surround the love chapter in 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to start with Ed Clowney, and, and as I mentioned in another video, uh, two books that really helped me uh, change my mind and settle on cessationism, uh, Ed Clowney's book on the church, his chapters on tongues and prophecy, and Sinclair Ferguson's book uh, in the same series, The Holy Spirit, uh, they both deal with tongues and prophecy, and I thought in pretty succinct ways, very powerfully, uh, responded to uh, Wayne Grudem and Don Carson and John Piper and some others who argue for the continuation of these gifts. Ed Clowney, who's already in heaven these days, he says this, many Christians are in the charismatic movement, so those would be Christians who believe the gifts of tongues and prophecies are still in operation today, are sure that their own experience shows that tongues have not ceased. So they're, they're convinced that their experience shows tongues has not ceased. They are persuaded that the Spirit has given them the gift granted to the Corinthian church. They feel, now this is important, this is not true of everybody, but it's true of a lot, they feel that those who do not possess the experience, if you don't have the experience, you cannot question the presence of the gift. And so, um, that, that's a significant part of the argument. If you haven't had the experience, some people in the, in the charismatic movement would say you cannot question the gift because you haven't experienced it. You, you can't say one way or the other. But again, the, the question is not decided by experience. It's decided by Scripture. Clowney says, yet the question cannot be decided by appealing to experience. Other religions practice uh, syllabic utterance or free vocalization. In other words, th there are all kinds of other religions in the world that, talk, that, that use uh, free vocalization, that they'll just kind of vocalize freely and make sounds, and uh, that doesn't prove that anything particularly supernatural is happening one way or the other. So first we must ask, what is the gift of tongues in Scripture? What is the gift? Well, the Greek term uh, glossa, Tongues literally means languages. It can also refer to your physical tongue in your, in your mouth, but it refers to languages. Uh, and quote, quoting Blue Letter Bible, the language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. So it's a particular human language. That's what glossa is. Glossolalia. Well, what, what are we talking about? Tongues. It is a reference to languages. In the book of Acts, I'll argue that the gift of tongues, this is my argument I'm going to try to make here, I will argue in the book of Acts, the gift of tongues is the ability to speak, now all this matters, words from God in another human language that the speaker did not know. And I'm going to also argue that interpreted tongues is equal to prophecy. I'm going to argue interpreted tongues is equal to prophecy. And so uh, tongues is speaking words from God in another human language that the speaker did not previously know. 
Ed Clowney says it like this, if a tongue can be interpreted and a genuine interpretation is provided, then, so if, if, if a tongue is spoken, the, the New Testament gift, and someone rightly interprets it with the gift of interpretation, then God is speaking. God is speaking to the church in our day because these are divine words from heaven in another language that are then translated into a known language and you've got divine revelation straight from heaven. Ed Clowney continues, since the tongue speaker was not aware of the meaning, the meaning of the tongues did not originate with the speaker, but was contained in the spirit-given message. That message is then interpreted uh, infallibly or at least reliably by one with the gift of interpretation. So, is the gift of tongues divine revelation from heaven in another language? And he would say, because the speaker doesn't know what he or she is saying, who's speaking? God is, if it's the real gift of tongues. That would put it on the same level as prophecy. So my argument would be, if tongues is speaking the very words of God in a human language unknown to the speaker, then interpreted tongues, insofar as they are an accurate interpretation, are infallible like prophecy, and thus tongues cannot happen anymore today. So in my previous video, I argued that prophecy is getting divine revelation, spontaneous revelation from heaven by the Spirit, whereby the speaker is enabled to speak the very words of God, to be God's mouthpiece, just like an Old Testament prophet. A New Testament prophet would speak the very words of God from heaven, divine, spontaneous revelation. Those words, when coming from the mouth of a true prophet, are infallible and inerrant on the same level as Scripture itself. And since the prophecies of the Bible lay the foundation for the church in Ephesians. We no longer need ongoing prophecy today. Now, if that is a sound argument, I know it's controversial, but if that's true, and if I'm, if I'm also right to say tongues is essentially a form of prophesying in another language, well, then tongues has to have ceased like prophecy uh, early in church history. So again, the gift of tongues appears only in Acts 2, 10, 11, 19, and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. So let's look at these texts, and we'll try to move as quickly as we can. Pentecost, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire. So these, these are little flames of fire, tongues of fire, appeared over them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the source of tongue speaking. And they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're speaking in other tongues. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from heaven, under, uh, from every nation under heaven. So don't, don't miss this. They're from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So this is the gift of speaking in other languages, other, other known human languages. And they were amazed and astonished that how can this uh, be, essentially, are not all these Galileans, and how is it that we, each of, us, uh, each of us here, in his own native language? So you've got Galileans who don't know all these languages, and they are speaking all these other languages in the area. Later in that chapter, Peter preaches to give an ex explanation of what's happening, and he says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So Old Testament prophet in the last days, so Peter's going to explain tongues using Joel. But Joel never mentions tongues. This is the weird part. So Peter goes, let me explain why these people are speaking in other languages, other tongues. And then he quotes Joel to give a, a prophetic explanation of what's happening. But the quote from Joel doesn't mention tongues. What does it mention? Prophecy. Which makes me think tongues is a form of prophecy. It's prophesying in another language. So in the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, uh, and your young men shall see visions. Verse 18, in those days I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So twice the text mentioned quotes, pro it mentions prophecy, but Joel doesn't mention tongues. How is this quote explaining Pentecost? And Peter's answer, I think, would be tongues is prophecy. It's prophesying in another language. I think that's what Peter would say. Here's how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. As at Pentecost, when interpreted, uh, such speaking in tongues was equivalent to prophecy. So tongue speaking is equal to prophecy in the book of Acts. I agree. The phenomena, if not actually identical, are certainly at least 
functionally equivalent in the church. So interpreted or understood tongues and prophecy are at least functionally equivalent, and they may actually be equivalent. I, I would argue that they, they probably are equivalent. Um, if you look at this, uh, some people would say, wait a second, it looks like the, Paul distinguishes tongues and prophecy. What, what do you do with 1 Corinthians 14, 5? Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, so that's one gift, but even more to prophesy. And then he says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. So it seems here Paul is clearly differentiating tongues and prophecy. He actually values prophecy more than tongues. So how could you say prophecy is the umbrella that tongues is under, that tongues is a form of prophecy, if Paul says, no, I'd rather you prophesy than speak in tongues, distinguishing the two. And I would say, well, finish reading the verse, right? He says, yeah, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. In other words, what he's saying is, if someone interprets tongues, it is not greater, it's not lesser than prophecy, it's equal. It's equal to prophecy. In other words, when Paul is distinguishing prophecy from tongues, he's, just, he's, he's distinguishing prophecy from uninterpreted tongues in this text. He says, no, but if, if tongues are interpreted, then tongues is equal to prophecy. I would argue it's a, it's a form of prophecy. Here's how Ed Clowney says it. Prophecy and tongues are closely related. The Apostle Paul prefers prophecy to tongues unless, like we just saw, unless the tongues are interpreted when they have the same force of prophecy. Interpreted tongues have the same force and authority as prophecy. Peter applied Joel's promise of prophecy to tongues at Pentecost. We just saw that. And so here's the big quote from Clowney at the bottom. Interpreted tongues are a form of prophecy. I agree with him. I think that the argument now is quite strong from 1 Corinthians and Acts. If you have interpreted tongues, you have something equal to prophecy. You have prophecy in another human language. Now, I'm going to ask you to stick with me here. I know this may seem cumbersome. We're walking through a lot of quotes and technical things and verses, but the payoff is huge. If you've ever wondered, what do we think about tongues today? We've got to work through exegesis. I, I could get up here and tell you stories all day long about people who claim to speak in tongues and people who this and that, and it may be more interesting in some ways, but it's not more authoritative. God's Word is the authority, so we've got to see clearly what Acts and 1 Corinthians teach about tongues, and then we can figure out what's going on today. So the, the hard work of exegesis is absolutely got to pay off at the end. That is worth it. So again here, um, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he speaks, he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So look, if the tongue speaker does not even understand what he's saying, no one understands him, who's speaking? The Spirit is. He's uttering mysteries. He may not even understand what the mysteries are. That's the whole point. If it's uninterpreted, even the speaker doesn't know what's being said. But who is speaking? The Spirit. So the, this, is, this is the same as prophecy. It's divine revelation from heaven. It's infallible just like prophecy. And therefore, it can't happen today because that would compromise the sufficiency of Scripture. That's where my argument is going. Look at, at 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So someone speaking in another language should pray that he himself can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In other words, again, does the tongue speaker know what he's saying? Not necessarily. Well, then who's speaking? Not the person speaking in tongues. It's the spirit speaking. Do you see that? See, I used to think the gift of tongues was just the ability to say what you want to say, but to say it in a different language. So like if I wanted to preach the gospel uh, to, to, in Africa to a, a group of people that only spoke Swahili, and I certainly don't speak Swahili, then if I were to go on a mission trip and I were to gather together a hundred people and I were to start preaching the gospel in English and all of a sudden I'm still preaching the gospel, all of a sudden my words are coming out in perfect Swahili, that must be the gift of tongues. That's not what the New Testament teaches. It's not the ability to say what you want to say in another language. That's not the New Testament gift. The New Testament gift is, do you see here? You can speak in a tongue, but you may not even know what you're saying because you've you got to pray that you could interpret it correctly. And it says, when you pray in a tongue, your spirit does pray, but your mind is unfruitful. You have no idea what you're saying. So who's speaking? Not you. You don't even know what you're saying. This is divine revelation. Ed Clowney continues. The one who speaks in a tongue does not know 
what he or she is saying. Yet what he says is translatable and may be interpreted by someone with that gift. What then is the source of the words? Now listen, if you're getting lost here, this is of utmost importance in figuring out if tongues still happen today. Okay? Right here. What is the source of the words when someone speaks in tongues? If the, if the person speaking doesn't even know what he's saying or she's saying, the words do not, they do not originate in the speaker's mind, but are given to him of the Spirit. These are divine words. These are the Spirit's words. These are equal in authority to God's word in Scripture. This, this is God speaking through this human being. When these words are interpreted, so when, when tongues are interpreted by one enabled by the Spirit to understand them, the church, look, what does the church get? Interpreted tongues give the church, the church receives a message that originated with God. It's a message that originated with God. If that is an accurate definition of what the New Testament teaches, then everyone has to agree, I think, that tongues cannot happen today. If, if you're not following, i got to just make this as simple as I can. Right here. If it is true that tongue speaking in the New Testament is speaking another human language that I don't know, and when I speak, I'm not originating the message. The message is coming from the Spirit, just like prophecy. It's a spontaneous uh, gift of the Spirit. And as I speak, I don't even know what I'm saying unless the Spirit gives me the gift to interpret. I don't even know what I'm saying. The message does not originate with me. So who's speaking? God is speaking through a man or a woman in that moment with the gift of tongues. And if the words are directly from God, and if translated tongues are the translation of an infallible new divine revelation, then everyone would agree. Grudem, Piper, Carson, everyone on both sides of the debate in the reform circles, everyone would agree who's evangelical, who's, who's, who's orthodox, <laughs> would agree that cannot happen today. Because that would what? It would just like with prophecy happening today, it would undermine the final authority of Scripture. Once we have all of God's Word gathered together in the 66 books of the canon, we no longer need infallible divine revelation from heaven. In fact, we, we need not to have new divine revelation because it would compromise the sufficient and inerrant Word of God. And by the way, even the Reformed evangelicals on the, on the continuationist side, like Grudem and Piper and Carson, would agree with what I'm saying there. Okay, let's look at the book of Acts chapter 8. So this is the, I'll grant you, this text doesn't mention tongues, but I think most people agree tongues almost certainly is happening in this text. Although you could say it's not, and that doesn't change my argument really. Acts 8, Philip goes to Samaria. And when he preached, it says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the gospel, the, the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So a lot of Samaritans are converted. The, the apostles come. It says, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then look at this. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, he offered them money and, and said, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. So you can see here, when the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, it evidenced itself outwardly and obviously. Simon could see that the Spirit was given and he wanted the power of what he saw. In other words, almost everyone agrees, how did the Spirit falling on the Samaritans show itself? And I think the argument is from silence, but I think it's a very good argument. Most people take this. The way he showed himself is that the people spoke in tongues. And I think I can strengthen that argument as we go. In Acts 2, how did God show that the Jewish people from all over the world had truly received God's new covenant era spirit? They spoke in other languages. In Acts 8, how did he show the Samaritans had received the new covenant spirit? They, they did something visibly obvious that looked like a kind of power from the spirit. I think the answer is they spoke in tongues and probably prophesied as well. All right, let's fast forward to chapter 10. Cornelius, the Roman centurion, is converted. Peter's in his house and it says, while he was still saying these things, preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And what's the result, again, of the Spirit falling on someone? What's the visible evidence that the Spirit has fallen on these Gentile God-fearers? Verse 45, Acts 10, and the believers from among the circumcised, so this is Jewish believers right here, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How do we know the gift was poured out? Right here, for, because they were hearing them speak in tongues, and extolling God. So the visible evidence that the Spirit was poured out is tongue speaking. For 
they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. So tongue speaking in this text and, and several times in Acts is an evidence that the Spirit has fallen on a new group of people. And that's what you see here. When the Gentiles received the Spirit, the Jewish Christians were amazed that Gentiles, as Gentiles, could receive the Spirit and be forgiven without converting to Judaism, without re receiving circumcision and all the Mosaic law. And how do they know that God had saved them? Because the Spirit fell on them in such a way that they spoke in other human languages. And then here's what Peter says. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have, now this is important, have received the Holy Spirit, look what he says, just as we have. You see that? Just as we have. What, what, is, what does Peter mean by saying just as we have? They received the Spirit just like we did. When did they receive the Spirit? Peter and his friends. At Pentecost. How did they receive the Spirit at Pentecost? They also spoke in tongues at Pentecost, right? That's what Peter's explaining at Pentecost. So here's what we know. The tongue speaking in Acts 10 and 11, which is all one event with Cornelius, this tongue speaking right here, this, the, the speaking in tongues that they see from the Gentiles has to be the same as this tongue speaking that Peter experienced in Acts 2. And why is that important? We know for sure that tongue speaking in Acts 2, and there's no, real, there's no major debate here amongst most people. The tongue speaking in Acts 2 was speaking other known human languages. People from Cappadocia and Bithynia and uh, Cyprus and all the different areas around Jerusalem came and they heard in their own native languages them speaking their, their languages. So Acts 2 is human languages. And if we, if we find out here, Cornelius and his family, they spoke in tongues and Peter says they received the Spirit just as we have then Peter is telling us that just as they spoke in other human languages in Acts 2, so the tongue speaking in Acts 10 and 11 is also human languages. Again, this may feel technical. Why are we going through all these verses? We're building a case. And if, if I can solidly convince you that to, to the end that all the tongue speaking in the New Testament is speaking other human languages, it's going to disprove a lot of claims to tongue speaking today all over the world. That's the payoff, if, if, if you'll hang with me here. The very next chapter, they retell the story of this same story of Cornelius' conversion, Acts eleven sixteen. Peter says, and I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John is baptizing you with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Look at this. It's even clearer here. If then God gave the same gift to them, the Gentiles, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? And when they heard this, these things, they fell silent and they glorified God and they said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So, so here's the thing. Once again, we see it is the same gift. The same gift. Uh, the, the, the speaking in human languages is the same gift. Now, here's the last time tongues is mentioned in the book of Acts. Acts 19. This time Paul is with the Ephesian Christians. No, excuse me. Ephesian non-Christians. Disciples of John. They're not yet Christians. Acts 19 verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He said to them, this is important, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we, did not even, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So they haven't received the Spirit. They're not actually converted yet. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. Uh, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, here it is again, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in glossa, tongues and prophesying. Again, you see how closely linked tongues and prophecy are together? Prophesying is speaking God's word in, your, in a known language. Tongues speaking God's word in an unknown human language. But you clearly see here, now think about this. So far, uh, Luke, writing Acts, has explicitly mentioned tongues in two contexts. Pentecost, glossa were spoken. Acts 10 and 11, Cornelius' family spoke glossa. In Acts 2, it's explicitly human languages. Acts 10 and 11 tell us it's the same gift from Acts 2, so it's explicitly human languages. And now we hear the word glossa again in Acts 19. It is obvious that we are to assume it's the same gift that's already been mentioned multiple times in Acts. It's glossa. It's speaking in other known human languages. This is not some kind of ecstatic speech or some uh, just gibberish or something like that. No, no, no. This is, this is human known human languages that are being spoken here in this text. Now, I'm going to try to get to a point here, but let, let me quote Sinclair Ferguson. It is difficult to resist the conclusion, I agree with him entirely here, 
that the tongues spoken of in the household, household of Cornelius in Acts 10, 11, and by the disciples at Ephesus in Acts 19 that we just saw, were identical in character to those at Pentecost in Acts 2. In other words, tongues are human languages. This is really, really important. All the tongues in the book of Acts are human languages. They're all the same. And anyone who says the tongues in Acts 2 and 10 are one kind of tongues, the Acts, the, the Acts 19 tongues is a completely different gift, a completely different thing. I'm sorry, the burden of proof is entirely on that person to make that point, and I don't think that point can be made from the book of Acts. So here is my, uh, try to boil down here. Two arguments for the cessation of the gift of tongues today. Two arguments for the fact that the gift of tongues does not operate today. Number one, if the tongue speaking in 1 Corinthians, now I have not demonstrated this yet or tried to, but if the tongue speaking in 1 Corinthians is the same as Acts, then it can be demonstrated that what people claim is tongues today is not the New Testament gift. Okay, here's my argument. If the tongue speaking mentioned in 1 Corinthians is the same as the book of Acts, then I think it can be demonstrated almost without any further argument that all or at least virtually all tongue speaking today is not real. I'm going to argue all of it is not real. And why would I say that? Well, I'll just say a word about that. People have recorded people claiming to speak in tongues for decades now. And they've had uh, language experts go and study the tapes. And this goes all the way back into, the, I think, the 70s and, and 80s and whatnot. Recording people claiming to speak in tongues. I don't know how many people. Tons of people have been recorded. Uh, we've heard it on TV preachers and stuff. I've heard it in person. And, and, and language experts will go back and they will study the tapes. And they will find out no identifiable human language is being spoken. In fact, the, the vocal range of the speaker matches the language the person grew up with speaking. Uh, the phonetic sounds that are made by the mouth. I'm not trying to be silly here, but like they'll say things like... like uh, Shakadabakadabakada, or tachmatatamata, tachmatatamata. And they'll make these repeating syllabic uh, sort of patterns of speech that go back and forth and up and down. And they're simply making the sounds and basic uh, noises that their mouth is used to making based on the language they grew up with. But there is no identifiable human language being spoken. And so here's the thing. If acts as human languages, tongues, and I think it definitely is, we just saw that. And if it's the same gift as 1 Corinthians, which I absolutely think it is, then already you can discount virtually all tongue speaking today. Because the tongue speaking today is not human languages. You, you don't have someone standing up who does not know a word of Russian and speaking fluid Russian, new divine revelation from heaven. That's just not happening. Where is that happening? Show me where people are speaking fluently in other human languages that they never knew. And prove to me that person did not really know that language ahead of time. And then show me the tape of them suddenly speaking a completely new language out of nowhere uh, from heaven. Uh, that's, not what, that's not what people are claiming to have today. What people today claim is the gift of tongues is not human languages. And this is a massive point in the argument. Virtually no one, I've, I've never met anyone, I don't think, who, I mean, that's not, that's not true. There probably are people who've made these claims. But virtually no one I know who's charismatic or Pentecostal would argue that they are able to speak in other human languages, the gift of tongues. They claim that they're speaking in ecstatic speech or angelic languages, they'll say, but they don't, no one is claiming to speak fluent Russian or Swahili or, or speak French or whatever if they haven't studied it previously. I don't know where that gift is happening and there's no proof it's happening. So if the New Testament gift is human languages, it doesn't happen today. It, that's not happening today. Show me where that is happening today. Okay, point number two, argument number two. If the tongue speaking... If, if the tongue speaking is a kind of prophecy, okay, if tongues is a kind of prophecy or at least equal to prophecy as divine authoritative speech, then tongues like prophecy must have ceased. And that's what I talked about. If it's divine infallible speech, it cannot exist today. Otherwise, that undermines the authority of Scripture. Now, let me give an objection, a, a counterpoint. At this point, someone may say, hang on. If tongues are human languages in Acts, surely they are not human languages in 1 Corinthians. And this is, a, I'm telling you, this is a common argument amongst a lot of people today. I mean, reputable scholars, Gordon Fee, who's written uh, a very well-known commentary on 1 Corinthians. Now, I'm going to disagree with him on all kinds of stuff, including this issue. Uh, yeah. But uh, they're going to argue uh, 
uh, I think Anthony Thistleton has written an epic, huge commentary over a thousand pages on on First Corinthians, and others will say the, the the tongues in First Corinthians is probably not the same gift as from the Book of Acts. Now, this is a huge point in the argument because if they are right, then it opens the door to ecstatic speech, not human languages, but ecstatic speech being a form of tongue speaking. And you could argue theoretically, at least, that that could still happen today. Um, and that, that all these times people are speaking in what seems like nonsense or gibberish, they're actually speaking ecstatic speech, which has a spiritual meaning, but it can't be translated in, by the way we would translate French or Russian. It doesn't have that kind of recognizable speech pattern. It might be something closer to like digital coding or something where there's no clearly understood uh, vowel and consonant sort of combination that makes certain words. It's just, it's, it sounds like gibberish, but it actually has a divine or spiritual meaning. That's a huge part of this argument. So here we go. Here, here's the argument. Tongues in 1 Corinthians are unintelligible, and therefore they are likely ecstatic speech or angelic languages. You may have heard that. Whereas the tongues in Acts were understood and therefore were human languages. Interpreters were not needed in Acts but they were needed in, in 1 Corinthians. So no interpreters were needed in Acts, but interpreters were needed in 1 Corinthians. Don't the differences of detail between tongues in Acts and tongues in 1 Corinthians prove that we're talking about two different but related gifts? They're both called glossa, but they're not the same thing. In Acts, it's human languages. In 1 Corinthians, it's, it's ecstatic speech or angelic languages that no human being would know uh, without divine help. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Number two, <clears throat> Someone could say tongues are clearly not equal to prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 and therefore not God's very words because they're not equal to prophecy. Well, we already talked about that. We said that, yeah, uninterpreted tongues are not equal to prophecy because no one knows what they are. But interpreted tongues are equal to prophecy in the early verses of 1 Corinthians 14. Someone may also say tongues is a message of salvation in, in Acts 2. So tongues is about salvation in Acts 2. Uh, 3,000 people are saved. But... In 1 Corinthians 14, 21 to 23, tongues is a sign of judgment, so it can't be the same gift, right? In Acts 2, tongues brings about 3,000 salvations. At least it draws a crowd that leads to the preaching of the gospel that leads to 3,000 conversions, whereas tongue speaking in 1 Corinthians is said to, to produce judgment. And so these can't be the same gift. All right, well, let's start working through these counter arguments and, and let's give uh, some arguments in response. So I would argue and Schreiner and many others would make the same point, I would argue that the differences in detail about tongues in Acts and 1 Corinthians, and there are differences of detail, they are due not to tongues being a different gift between the two books, but to the same tongues being done in a different context. So the context is different between the two books, and that's why the way they're talked about is a little bit different but it's not a different gift. So for instance, and stick with me here, this is going to take some work, but it's important. In Acts 2, the tongues or languages did not need to be interpreted. So why not? Why do we not, why do we not, they did not need to be interpreted? Why? In 1 Corinthians, they have to interpret the glossa. In Acts 2, they don't have to interpret the glossa. Why? Is it the same gift? Well, the, the answer is, it's a different context. In Acts 2, there were people from all the different countries and nations around Israel. And so, yes, they didn't, need to, they didn't need an interpreter. They could interpret it themselves. If you're from Germany and you speak German and English and you come here and someone spoke in tongues in German, uh, you would not need an interpreter. You would be the interpreter. You would know what's being said uh, because you speak the language uh, German yourself. In 1 Corinthians, it's one local church. How many languages can the members of one local church speak? I mean, they can speak some, but they're not going to speak every language. And so, yeah, in one local church, not everyone's going to know German or Swahili or whatever. But if you have people gathered, they will know the difference of the languages. So the context explains the differences. The burden of proof is on the person who claims that the gift of tongues, glossa, in 1 Corinthians is different from the gift of tongues, glossa, in Acts. So remember, the bird of proof is on the person who would say that they are different gifts. And uh, I want to say this. If explaining them as one gift, which is the simplest and by far the preferable explanation, if explaining them as one gift, human languages, 
make, can make sense out of all the texts in both books, Acts and 1 Corinthians, that's extraordinarily strong evidence that the gift is only human languages. So, and I think the evidence lands strongly on the side of the gift of tongues always being human languages in Scripture. Someone may ask, then why does Paul mention the tongues of angels? Right? We all know the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Here's what Paul says. Look at the first verse. We, we know this verse. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If tongues does not mean anything but human languages, it seems like this verse flatly disproves all that I've just said. It looks like 1 Corinthians, yes, it may have included human languages, the tongues of men, but apparently the Corinthians could also speak angelic tongues, in which case those would be undiscernible by any language expert today, because who knows the languages of angels or heavenly languages. Doesn't this prove that not just human languages, the tongues of men, but also the tongues of angels were being spoken in the Corinthian church, and that the gift is more than human languages? Well, I will grant you, that's a, that's a strong argument, but it's not as strong as it looks, because let's read it in context, okay? Look at the very next verse. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. What's the key to interpretation? Context, 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 right? In context, I think Paul is using hyperbole, exaggeration, to make a point. Just follow me here. This is really, I think, an important point. So, Paul begins in each of these three separated lines, he begins by starting with a gift that he actually possessed. Did Paul speak in other human languages? Yes, he did. He says he spoke in tongues more than anyone in Corinth. And then I'm going to argue, he then moves to an exaggerated claim that he never did. I'm going to argue Paul spoke in human tongues, but not in angelic tongues. I think Paul's saying, listen, if I speak in tongues, which I do, human tongues, even if I could do something I can't do, which is speak in angelic tongues, if I did even that, spoke in heavenly tongues, whatever that would mean, if I did not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then look again, verse 2. If I have prophetic powers, did Paul have prophecy, prophetic powers? Yes, he did. But did Paul have all mystery? And did he understand all knowledge? Did, did, did Paul have, all, did he understand all mysteries and was he omniscient? Did he understand all knowledge? No. He's moving from something that he had again, prophetic powers, which Paul had, and then he, he moves to something hyperbolic, exaggerated, something he does not have, something he could not have, just like angelic tongues he could not have. Similarly here, look, if I have prophetic powers, even if I could understand all mysteries and had comprehensive knowledge of everything, if I had all knowledge, if I was omniscient like God, but if I didn't have love, it's pointless. It does me no good. So again, Paul starts with something he has, and then he exaggerates it to something he couldn't have, but even if he had it and he did not have love, it's useless. Let's look at the third example. And if I have, this is still verse two. If I have all faith, did Paul have the gift of faith? Absolutely he did. If I had all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Did Paul have the gift of faith? I'm sure he did. But did Paul have the gift of faith to literally pick up a mountain and move it? I don't think Paul ever did that. I don't think anyone's going to argue that Paul literally had the faith that moved a mountain, literally. No. So again, Paul is starting with something he really did have, faith, and he's moving to something he couldn't have, but even if he had it and he didn't have love, it's nothing. So do you see, read in context, how should we read the gift, the language, the, the tongues of angels? If I were to speak in the tongues of men, which Paul did, and even of angels, which Paul couldn't have done, but even if he did, but he didn't have love, it would be nothing. So you see what's happening here? Paul is moving from what he has to what he couldn't have, from what he has to what he couldn't have, from what he has to what he never did, couldn't do, and says he's, he's exaggerating to make a point. No matter what your tongue-speaking abilities, no matter what your prophetic knowledge, no matter what your faith, if it lacks love, it's completely and utterly empty of any value and merit. So I, don't, I actually do not think this is an argument for angelic tongues. I don't think Paul ever spoke in angelic tongues. I don't think any Corinthian ever spoke in angelic tongues. I don't think any human being ever spoke in angelic tongues. Uh, so I think it's simply taking this verse out of context to argue that there were both human and angelic tongues being spoken in the Corinthian church or today. Don't, I don't think that's what is, is Paul's saying in, in context. Here's what Ed Clowney says. Luke tells us that Paul laid hands on the disciples at Ephesus who proceeded to speak in tongues. 
In Luke's account, those disciples received the gift that had been granted at Pentecost, and Paul was the apostle through whom the gift was given. Now get this. So, so follow me here. In Acts, so we're back in Acts. Acts 19, you had the disciples at Ephesus who spoke in tongues through Paul, right? Now, now get this. Paul is the one through whom that gift was given. Now, it, that's, Acts, that's Acts 19. Paul gives the gift of languages, human languages, spirit through Paul. If you rewind to Acts 18, so this is Ephesus. In Acts 18, Paul is in the city of Corinth founding the church there. They're right next to each other. Same Paul is in both chapters, two different churches. Here Paul's connected to the term glossa in the Ephesian church, and it's clearly human languages. In Acts 18, Paul founded the Corinthian church where the gift of languages was given through Paul, or at least in association with Paul. Are we to really think that the Paul through whom God gave the gift of glossa in Ephesus is a different gift from the Paul who gave the gift of glossa? God gave it through Paul in Corinth, the chapter before. No, the same Paul is in both churches. The two events happen side by side, very close together in time. The same gift, glossa, is given. That makes me think that if the gift in Ephesus is divine languages, the gift in Corinth is also divine languages. In other words, the, the, uh, the, the, the gift of tongues in Corinthians is the same as the gift of tongues in Acts, and they're both connected to the Apostle Paul, the same Apostle. Are we really to believe it's a completely different gift given by the same Apostle, one chapter apart in two different cities? No, that's not what the evidence is indicating. Clowney says, the gift of tongues that came through Paul's ministry in Corinth would surely not be different from the gift that came through his ministry in Ephesus. I think that is an astute point. I'd never heard that before until I read that in Clowney. Paul, Paul's founding of the church in Corinth occurs in Acts 18. Paul's experience in Ephesus happened in Acts 19. And again, don't forget, Galileans were speaking in Acts 2, and each person heard them speak in their own native language. It was human languages, again. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead here for a moment, because I've already covered some of this. Let, let me cover one really, really intriguing and difficult verse about tongue speaking in the New Testament. This is one of the most perplexing ones. It seems like everybody has a different opinion about how to interpret it. And I really do think after years of scratching my head on this, I really do think I've discovered the right interpretation. That may sound arrogant. I didn't make it up. I got this from Tom Schreiner. Uh, and I, I think this is the one that absolutely captures this verse uh, really well. So here's that difficult text. Verse 20, brothers, uh, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Now here, this is really strange. Uh, it says this, in the law, it is written, oh, this is so strange. So in the Old Testament, in other words, in the Old Testament, it's written, and here, here's going to quote uh, from the book of Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners uh, will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And then Paul says, thus, he draws a conclusion Thus, uh, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. What does that mean? This verse in Isaiah is not referring to the gift of tongues. Strange tongues, not referring to the gift of tongues. It's referring to right before the fall of the, uh, of the kingdom where the Assyrians had surrounded uh, Israel and they were speaking Assyrian. And the people on the inside of the walls of Israel heard Assyria, the language of Assyria being spoken outside the walls. And um, that was the strange tongues and the lips of foreigners. And it was God telling them that they're about to be judged. So God sent Assyria to destroy the northern kingdom and to take much of the southern kingdom in the 700s BC. <clears throat> and when, they were, when God's people were surrounded by Assyrians, they heard the Assyrian language that they could not understand. It was untranslated. They heard the Assyrian language. It sounded like gibberish outside the walls of their city. And they knew it was, it was a sign that God was speaking by the lips of foreigners. I will speak to this people and even then they will not listen, says the Lord. In other words, God's having the Assyrians speak outside the walls was a sign that they were about to be judged. Uninterpreted tongues, uninterpreted foreign languages, human languages outside the wall was a sign that Israel was about to be judged by the Assyrians, which was God's messenger, his, his, his agent uh, to, to judge Israel. 
Okay? So what does this verse mean? Thus, Paul draws the conclusion, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Huh? And then prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. What what does that mean? Uh, Here's what I think uh, is going on here. Verse 22, when he says tongues here, I think Paul means uninterpreted. I don't even know if I'm spelling that right, so forgive me. Uninterpreted tongues, right here. Uninterpreted tongues are a sign, and I'm going to add here a sign of judgment. Not a good sign, a bad sign here. Uninterpreted signs, tongues, are a sign of judgment, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, and I'm going to say here, prophecy is a sign of blessing, Is a sign of blessing, not for um, unbelievers, but for believers. Okay? And um, what I think is being said is this. If everyone in your church is speaking in uninterpreted tongues on a Sunday in Corinth in the first century, and a non-Christian gets invited to church, and the non-Christian walks in the door, and 25 people are speaking at the same time in various human languages, even if it was the real gift of tongues at the time, which I think it probably was at the the time, the gift of tongues for real. If an unbeliever walks in, uninterpreted tongues are a sign of judgment for the unbeliever. But prophecy is a sign of blessing for the believer, and and he'll explain it in the next verse. So here's here's the context. If the whole church comes together, so you got a Sunday service, the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues. So everyone's just talking in other human languages, and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, will they not say what? That you are out of your minds. So unbeliever says you are crazy if everyone, uh, if all speak in uninterpreted tongues. Unbelievers would come in and be like, what is this? This is a cult? This is some kind of weird, freakish thing? I want nothing to do with this. And the, the unbeliever will leave and say, you guys are crazy. Okay? In other words, uninterpreted tongues is a sign of judgment for the unbeliever. It's going to send them out, not, not leaving them to stick around to hear the gospel in an intelligible speech. But no, if you're showing off, everyone's speaking in tongues. Everyone's speaking in tongues, showing off. They don't care about order. They don't care about interpretation. They don't care about intelligibility. They don't care about being understandable. Or being sensitive to the fact that people need to hear a message, not just hear uninterpreted languages. If everyone speaks in uninterpreted tongues, an unbeliever will will receive it as a sign of judgment. They're going to leave, not stick around to hear the gospel. But if all prophesy, if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are displayed disclosed, he will fall on his face and say that God is really among you. In other words, if you want to see conversion, if you want to see a non-Christian fall on his face and say, God is really here in this place, don't everybody start speaking in tongues. And this is why I would say, even to a charismatic who believes the gifts continue, which I do not agree with, even if the gifts did continue, the vast majority of tongue speaking today, first of all, is not human languages, so it's not what's in the New Testament. Secondly, it's not done the way Paul does it. Paul limits it to only three people at a time speaking in tongues. Here's what he says, verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be, now look at this, only two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. How many, I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm trying to be, call people, call brothers and sisters to account on this. How many charismatic churches who believe the gifts continue? Uh, okay. How many of them actually practice it the way the Bible says, even when the gifts were happening? So, Never have more than three people speak in a tongue in a church service. That's what the Bible says. Two or at most three. Never ever should more than three people speak in tongues in a church service. That's what this text says. Secondly, you should never have simultaneous tongue speaking. If you ever have a moment in your church where two or ten or a hundred people are speaking in tongues at the same time, you're being unbiblical. Paul says never more than two or three total, and they should each take turns. So person A speaks in a tongue— Person B, person C, and never more than three. And then every single time someone speaks in tongues, it should be interpreted into the language of the congregation. Uninterpreted tongues are never allowed in the local church. Paul has no place for it. 
That's what he says here. Look, if there is, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them what? Keep silent in church and just speak to God privately. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order of peace. So see, see this? If there's no one to interpret, no one should ever speak in a tongue in church. You could speak privately to the Lord in your own heart, in tongues if you're able to, back in the first century when the gift was really happening. Uh, you can do this in your own private prayer closet. You can speak in another language by divine speech uh, privately. But if you're in public, in a church service, keep silent if you don't have an interpreter. So just the instructions here would do away with virtually all tongue speaking in the modern church. But I don't actually think that what we see in the modern church is the real uh, gift of tongues in the first place. So here's, let me start moving toward a conclusion here. Sinclair Ferguson again. If, as we have argued, there's only one kind of tongue speaking in Scripture. That's what we're, that's what we're arguing from arguing for. And this is a God-given ability to speak foreign languages ordinarily unknown to the speaker, and that quite apart from theological arguments, much that is claimed as biblical tongues cannot be identified with the New Testament phenomenon. So even apart from the theological argument about the sufficiency of Scripture, virtually no modern-day tongue speaking can be identified with speaking foreign human languages. When is this actually happening? Show me the documentation. Uh, no, virtually all tongue speaking today is not human languages. Apart from the theological argument, it already discounts most tongue speaking. At best, and I, I agree with uh, Sinclair here, at best, it is free vocalization, whether deliberately practiced or spontaneously in, invoked. Free vocalization is when you just sort of free up your tongue and you start with uh, syllabic, I think they call them syllabic patterns or something. And, and literally, they can train you to prime the pump. Tom Schreiner had a charismatic student back in the day who was telling him how to get the gift of tongues. And he said, you just start kind of priming the pump. You start, you start just giving syllables. And people literally will say, touch my tie, tie my tie. You say, touch my tie, tie my tie, touch my tie, tie my tie, touch my tie, tie my tie. And you start doing it over. And suddenly, you're, you're priming the pump. Suddenly, you're speaking in the gift of tongues. And they have other kinds of patterns of speech. But that's not, free vocalization is not the gift of foreign language speech from heaven. It's, it's not the same thing. I know that there are Christians who sincerely think that their free vocalization is the gift of tongues. I, I, I want to say it graciously, I know, but I don't think it's the gift of tongues. Uh, Sinclair continues, such activities as is widely recognized induce a sense of psychological well-being. So kind of that, that, that free vocalization can give you a sense of well-being. By the way, cults do the same thing, false religions, Hindu religions, all that, they've documented it. Uh, you can see tape recordings of people doing what looks a lot like extreme charismatic church services. People kind of flopping around on the floor, people shaking in their bodies, people falling down, people speaking in free vocalization, just kind of strange patterns of, 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 of speeches of putting together syllables in a certain way, and they feel good, and it, it feels relaxing, and it feels whatnot. Not the gift of tongues. <clears throat> It would not be altogether surprising, Sinclair says, if this produces in Christians a euphoria, which, because interpreted through a Christ-centered grid, is different from the experience of free vocalization in a non-Christian context. Now, I want to say this. I think this is important. Sinclair says, this need not be regarded as demonic, albeit in some, in some context, it may even be an expression of the demonic. So in other words, I'll be honest here. I think that my Christian friends who truly love the Lord, believe the true gospel, are justified by the same Christ that I'm justified by. Uh, when they claim and believe truly that they are speaking in tongues when they pray, I will say to them, do I think it is automatically demonic? I doubt it. I doubt seriously it's demonic. I think that they are simply, they think they're speaking in tongues. They're having maybe a real experience of God's nearness, and they have, a, I think, a misunderstanding of what tongues is, and they begin to freely vocalize, just making syllables come out of their mouth. I think it's incoherent. I don't think it's angelic languages. I don't think it's human languages. I don't think it's the gift of tongues. I think the person is being, uh, they're sincere, but I think they're, they're sincerely incorrect. And I don't think it's demonic. I think it's just misled. Now, could it be demonic in some instances? Yes, it really could. That's why I would not encourage it. Uh, and Sinclair says, and even free vocalization, uh, if its significance is misinterpreted, may lead to more sinister repercussions. This is huge. So look, even if it's not the real gift of tongues, if it's just free vocalization, just making sounds, look, 
If its significance is misinterpreted, it may lead to more sinister repercussions. This is absolutely right. So the, the real danger of tongues today is not that you may have a friend who freely vocalizes syllables, like I've kind of done a few times during this message. No, no, it's, that's not, I mean, if they're doing that in private while they're reading their Bible, I think they're wrong. I think it's not the gift of tongues, but I'm not going to like completely flip out over it. What, what, what becomes a danger is if they claim to be able to interpret the babbling that they're making, the, the, the free vocalization that they're making. A psychological relaxation is, I think, J.I. Packer called most of tongue speaking today. So what, what, what's sinister is if that happens in a church service, someone just make syllables, and then another person sincerely believes that they've got the interpretation, and then they say, God is telling us to sell our building. God is telling us to uh, go here or do this thing. Well, now we're in sinister territory, because now we're claiming to speak on behalf of God live in that moment. We're saying God is telling us straight through that tongue speaking this. And now we're claiming to have authority on par with scripture that is extraordinarily dangerous and can mislead an entire congregation into error. That, that's for real. When you listen to the really worst of it, the, the Creflo Dollars and the, and the, um, and the Kenneth Copeland's uh, online and American Gospel documents this, they will say things like, God told me this and that, and they suddenly they're coming up with crazy theological systems where, they, where, where they're making themselves little gods and all this stuff. It all comes from, the Spirit of God spoke to me. I was having my devotionals. I threw my Bible in the air and I said, hi, Lord, you can't be said I'm equal to this and that, and I'm, I'm a little God or whatever. You know, it's crazy stuff, but where is it coming? He's claiming to get words straight from heaven. So yes, there really are sinister ways in which this stuff is applied to, to bring about false teaching and false doctrine in the church. So I... If someone claims to speak in a tongue and give an interpretation on theological, exegetical, biblical grounds, I do not count it to be a word from God. Now, again, on the more uh, innocent side of this, usually people interpret it. And again, it's, it's not tongues, and they're not really interpreting tongues because tongues don't happen, I don't think. But usually the person will just give a common sense thing like, the Lord just says he's with us. Or the Lord just wants to encourage us that he, he loves his church. Or the Lord wants us to be holy like he is holy. Or the Lord wants us to be faithful. But whenever someone gives that as the prophecy or the interpretation, I'm going, I, I, didn't, need, I didn't need some extra thing. That's in the Bible. Yes, I know God loves his church because of the Bible. I know God's with us because of the Bible. I know God is going to care for us because of the Bible. He's our shepherd because of the Bible. I, I don't need some extra gift right now. The, the Bible is sufficient to tell me all the theology I need. It's right here. Uh, and so... Either you get prophecies or interpretations of tongues that are innocent in some sense and just paraphrasing Bible verses, in which case they are not really needed, or you get the more sinister version, which is uh, people giving you new theology in the guise of new prophecies and in the guise of interpreted tongues. Clowney continues here. Anyone can vocalize freely. Tongue speakers have sometimes urged those who desire the gift to begin by a deliberate imitation of tongue speaking, looking to the Spirit to take over when they have primed the pump. That's what I was mentioning, and that, 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 that's real. Lots of people encourage that. A Christian convinced that tongue speaking is a precious gift of the Spirit may speak this way while engaged in prayer and praise and be overwhelmingly grateful to God for a gift thought to be supernatural, thought to be supernatural. It is quite possible, therefore, that the apostolic gift of tongues has ceased even though millions of Christians believe they now possess it. And I know this is probably can be an emotionally offensive thing to say, but I think it is true. I agree. I think the gift ceased early in, the, in, in church history, just like prophecy. And yet, even though the gift is gone, entirely gone, I still think that there are millions of Christians who believe that they now possess the gift of tongues because they freely vocalize in their time of prayer or whatever it may be. Clowny. It would be wrong, however, to assume that tongues are lying wonders from the powers of darkness. So we're not saying, just like Sinclair, I'm not saying this is all of the devil. The danger lies, just like Sinclair said, in the interpretation of tongues. That's where you got danger, because now you're claiming to speak for God, which is impossible if the tongue is not the gift of languages as in the New Testament. The question of interpretation brings us to the issue of continuing prophecy. So again, Interpretation of tongues and prophecy have the same functional authority in the early church. They're both giving you, in your own language, divine revelation. At least that's the claim. 
Sinclair again. The difference between Pentecost and Corinth lies in the fact that those who heard tongues in Jerusalem already possessed the key for interpretation. They understood the foreign languages since they were their native tongues. We talked about that. No translation was required in Acts. By contrast, in Corinth, it was necessary for an interpreter to speak. But there is no reason to think that there was any essential difference between the nature of tongues spoken in the two contexts. So to wrap up here, let me make sure I have covered everything I want to cover here. Yeah, so I'll just close with this. I think the evidence lies strongly on the side that glossa, tongues, languages, that gift only mentioned in Acts and 1 Corinthians is the same gift in both books. And the difference of details in the two books is due to the different contexts within which the same gift occurred. They didn't need to be interpreted in Acts because the people already knew the languages. They needed to be interpreted in 1 Corinthians because it was one local church where not everyone knew every language. And I think that accounts for the differences of the gifts. So, again, to go back to my main point, and I'm, I'm just about done here. Thank you so much for your patience if you've been listening all the way to this point. Here is, I want to conclude with where I started. Here's the argument. If tongue speaking, if tongues is speaking the very words of God in a human language unknown to the speaker, then the interpre then interpreted tongues, insofar as they're an accurate interpretation of the tongue, are infallible like prophecy, and thus tongues cannot happen anymore today. I really do believe that that is the New Testament teaching. And this is coming from a guy who prayed for the gift of tongues numerous times back in Bible college days when I believe that the gift probably did still exist because of Piper and Grudem in particular influencing me and, and a lot of other well-known preachers at the time. I prayed for the gift of tongues. Prayed for it numerous times over the course of number, a number of years until I saw what I think are more persuasive arguments that the gift was a sign gift for the New Testament era during the foundation of the church being laid. These sign gifts like... Uh, a massive healing and miracles, uh, prophecy and tongues were sign gifts given to the early church to validate Jesus and the early apostles. And once the validation was settled, we don't need the gifts to continue. We just need their finished revelation recorded in Scripture. You know what? I'll say one last thing. Do I have a blank slide here? Okay, this is close to a, as close as I get to a blank slide. Here, here's this is this is going to be a going to make someone probably emotionally not like this, but I, I just want to be clear. So, three things. You've got miracles or signs and wonders in the New Testament. And Greg alluded to this in the sermon yesterday. You've got prophecy. And then you've got tongues. Here's what I'm going to argue. People claim that all three of these gifts still happen today. And what I would argue is actually, no. We, what we have is fake, I, I know this is strong language, we have fake versions of all three of these things happening today. So for instance, in the New Testament, signs and wonders in included raising the dead, healing the blind, ma making lifelong paralytics stand up, walk and leap and praise the Lord, and on and on. Casting out demons, all these kinds of things. Now listen, today what we see with the healing movements is lower back pain. Someone with a cane, uh, having the cane taken away and they can walk across a stage with Benny Hinn. It's not anything like, if Benny Hinn has the gift of healing that he claims to have, he should go to every hospital in North America and across the world and empty out every emergency room, all the emergency departments, uh, every, every ICU. Just go empty out the place where there's real need, and you can prove that you've really got the gift. He doesn't have the gift that Peter and Paul and John and Jesus had. It's not the gift. Because they, what we have today is, is, a, is a watered-down gift that's not really the same gift. Healing lower back pain, psychosomatic healings on, on stages when your adrenaline is going and they take your cane away and you walk a few steps, that's not the, the New Testament healing. We've watered it down and claimed that it's still happening. Let's go to prophecy. Again, my last video talked about this. We now call New Testament prophecy to argue that it continues fallible speech. Uh, fallible speech. Well, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, I argued it for 50 minutes the other day. It's not fallible. In the New Testament, 
as in the Old Testament, it's infallible, spontaneous, divine revelation speaking God's words out of your mouth straight from heaven. Well, today Grudem argues in his book right here that I mentioned, his book on prophecy, his doctoral dissertation, he argues that New Testament prophecy that exists today is actually fallible, unlike Old Testament prophecy. Well, I think what Grudem has unintentionally done is he's actually watered down the New Testament gift to something that he thinks still happens today, but it's actually less than what the New Testament says. So just like healing, we've made it a lesser gift. Prophecy, we've made it a lesser gift. And now let's look at tongues. Tongues in the New Testament is human languages. But what have we done today? We've watered it down to um, uh, free vocalization. Sorry for my handwriting there. We, we, we've said, no, it's, it's free vocalization. The word did not finish uh, writing. That's okay. Uh, so what we said is, yeah, what used to be speaking God's very words in other human languages, well, today it's just making basically gibberish sounds. It's just freely vocalizing syllables, and we just think that's an ecstatic speech that's the Spirit speaking, and maybe we can try to interpret it in some general way. Well, what we've done with all three of these New Testament sign gifts is we've watered them down to something we can still produce today, and then we've called the watered-down version of what we produce today the original New Testament gift, and we've argued that the gift continues. I know this is highly charged speech, but I think none of these gifts still continues today. And so we don't have people being raised from the dead, paralytics being asked to walk in the way that in the New Testament happened so commonly with the gift of healing. We don't have infallible divine speech being given today by special revelation. And we don't have divine speech being given in other known human languages today, uh, as you see in the New Testament gift of tongues. So what the charismatic movement claims is happening is actually a watered-down, false, non-New Testament version of those gifts. And I, I know that's, that's quite a note to end on, but again, we've got to make the decision based on exegesis, not experience, and that's what we've tried to do. So thank you for giving your time to this. I know this was long, detailed, but I think it's significant. So thank you for watching.